and the daughter see I surrender in my own I surrender to the key We'll sing that chorus again Let the worshipers rise Let the sons and the daughters see Think how much things have changed just in the last six months. But I want to make sure that I'm standing on the right side. I want to be on this side of that line in the sand with him. Let's just sing this. Father, I see that you are drawing a line in 
the sand And I want to be standing on your side Holding your hand God. 
Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise this evening. Amen. We certainly welcome each and every one of you to the house of the Lord. There's just something special about these midweek Wednesday services. It's just, I don't know, it's just, uh, they're just so special to me. And, and uh, I know God's got something wonderful in, in store for us. And I'm just so happy to be here. Just turn around and look at your neighbor and give them the biggest smile that you can find. Shake your hand. Tell them you're glad to be here. And let's just have a little church. Oh, everybody will be happy, will be happy over there. We will shout and sing God's praises. Everybody will be happy over there. There's a happy land of promise over in the great beyond, where the saved world shall soon its glory share. Yeah. 
that he has it under control. There's, there's just no feeling like that. It is so liberating. And everybody here has that promise, whatever it might be. Uh, just before we uh, take these uh, prayer requests, we, we had been praying for uh, uh, Mitchell's uh, fiance's sister. She's, uh, I think, 23. I think she's 23 years old. She was diagnosed with uh, stage 3 um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma and uh, she had gotten pretty sick uh, uh, Friday night I think it was one of the nights but anyway she went to the uh, emergency room and uh, they kept her overnight but as a result of her going to the emergency room her oncologist came in the next day and told her that her lymph node swelling had gone that was a sign that the chemo had worked but I thought to myself, that's a sign that God is still on the throne. Amen. And we're just, we're praying for that young lady. I, I truly believe with all my heart 
that God is going to do something really spectacular in that young lady's life. And what a wonderful, powerful testimony. Amen. Saints, he's still on the throne and he's still mindful of all of our needs, whatever it might be. You may think it's just something minor, but to God it's a big deal. If it matters to you, it matters to him. Let's just sing this song before we take these prayer requests before the Lord. I have a maker. I have a maker. He formed my heart before even time. Oh, think about it, saints. Sister Drum and our prayers. Also, want to continue to remember the the Hughes, and uh, we want to uh, remember uh, Brother David uh, Morlier. We want to remember uh, Sister Amber and uh, Sister Christie. Uh, Amber had been uh, pretty sick last night and uh, has got uh, a virus, so we want to remember her. Um, also, we had a, a request uh, from Brother Richard for Brother Richard Smith for Sister Mary that she had had a really hard fall about uh, 15 to 1 this morning and uh, they had to call 911 to help get her up and then she fell again between the uh, the, the foot of the bed and a chest that they have and and uh, she uh, 
got a rug burn on her left shoulder and she uh, scuffed up her cheek pretty good underneath her left eye he said praise the lord she did not have to go to the hospital uh, but she's really nervous and scared that anytime she has to move she's going to fall and um so uh when she fell he he did not hear her actually call out to him like he normally does so he just asked that uh, uh that everyone just keep her in prayer and and him as well and uh, she's in a lot of pain and that uh, the lord will just help her to deal with that we want to certainly remember them in prayer also um this is uh, from Sister Chanel. Your, uh, her brother's having surgery tomorrow to uh, fix a hernia. Um, so we we'll just remember that also. I know there's many needs among us. Amen. I'd like to ask Brother Andy if he'd come and take these uh, prayer requests before the Lord. Amen. Just remember to pray for each other. We are certainly a, a needy people, and we need, we need each other's prayers. Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, there is none like it unto Thee, Lord. Our heads are bowed, Father. We humbly come before Your throne and we say thank You, Father, that You've given us this opportunity, Lord, to just even approach You. We ask, Lord, that You'd forgive us. Lord, forgive us for anything we've done wrong anything that wasn't pleasing to you, Father. We just claim the blood and ask that you wash us clean. And Father, you've heard the requests and the sicknesses. And Lord, that young woman who's been afflicted, Father, you think of Brother Richard, Lord Jesus, and the situation that him and Mary are in. And Father, maybe there's people tonight, Lord, that they may see just a a wasteland of sickness. But Lord, you see a garden of health. And so, Father, we would just ask, Lord, that you would take our prayers this evening and we bind them together with faith. And we ask, Lord, that you would just answer these prayers, Lord. That you would bring healing where it is needed, Father. You would bring peace where it is needed. Lord, you would bring wisdom and decisions, and things that maybe need to be made that are hard, Father, you would just help those to make the right choice, Father, in your perfect will, Lord. Father, we bless and ask that you would bless the tithes and the offering. Father, as always, we just pray it would go for the furtherance of your kingdom. And Lord, as we get ready to get uh, for the most important part, your word, Father, and as the man stands behind this pulpit, our prayer is, Lord, you would just move them out of the way and that we would be able to look behind the veil of flesh this evening and we would see, we would see the word come forth. And Father, may it come forth and may it have such an effect on us that we can say as David, that as I thought on my ways, I turned my feet unto thy testimonies. And we'll give you all the praise, the glory, and the honor. Lord, we just love you and thank you. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brother Andy. Let's just go ahead and invite Brother Barry to come at this time. I just feel like we're ready to, to move on into the service. And um, let's, uh, let's sing that song, um, Our God Reigns, as Brother Barry comes this evening.
power God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns, our God reigns, how lovely all the If you will, let's go to Isaiah chapter 2. We'd like to begin there tonight. Isaiah, the second chapter. And we welcome you all to the house of the Lord tonight. We're going to read a little scripture and we're going to have a word of prayer. We have. Um, a special unspoken request tonight given to us. And uh, Luke, I have a, a real echo here uh, that I can hear. 
And uh, also, we want to remember Brother uh, David Arberson. Brother David's been with us on, since, uh, uh, East, since Easter Sunday, and he uh, came back, stayed with us, and today he went over to Johnson City, and he's visiting over there, and then uh, heading up to Brother Ron Spencer's on the weekend, and then we'll meet him again uh, on Sunday evening. So uh, he just was really, really appreciative and very thankful uh, for the hospitality and the care that was shown to him. Uh, I did tell him uh, before we went into the dinner, he and I went over, and uh, before we went in, I said, this will kill you, this dinner. And uh, afterwards, he said, you're right. <laughs> he said, just amazing, he said, the amount of food. But he just so enjoyed the fellowship and getting together and uh, all that he's experienced so far. This is Theo Cleveland, and we've mentioned him before. He's the son of David and Charity Cleveland, and uh, Sister Charity uh, Yeski. She's now a Cleveland, and uh, very dear friends of ours. They were in our church in Ohio. They live in Arizona right now. And uh, their little boy, Theo, uh, was diagnosed with a tumor on the brain that uh, was pressing on the optic nerve. And uh, they have been working with him and doing injections and, and giving him... Uh, a certain amount of chemo and checking his progress and so forth. Uh, one of the things that they're always concerned about when they give chemo like that is loss of hearing. And so today she sent out a report, and my wife sent it to me, and uh, they said that after checking his hearing, there was absolutely no damage. Uh, the same specialist who is an ophthalmologist who looked at his eye and the, uh, one of the uh, optic nerves where the tumor was, uh, they said that uh, he has completely lost his sight. He only had light perception in one eye. And uh, the uh, same ophthalmologist gave him another examination today, and she said uh, that once you lose, uh, you lose the ability uh, through the nervous system because of a tumor, like when a tumor destroys something, it doesn't come back. And uh, she wanted to uh, let Sister Charity know that. And so she did an eye examination today, and she said, this is surprising. She said, he's gone from 120, which is only light perception, to a 60. And she said, he's, he's getting, gaining his sight back in the eye that they said would never revive, never be able to see again. And so uh, they're just really thankful, thanking God and very excited. And so we just want, if you don't mind, just remember Theo. And uh, how can you forget a face like that? And uh, just pray that the Lord will undertake for him, if you don't mind. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful, so thankful that we can come together, Lord, and be blessed even in the song service and, and the gathering of your people. And Lord, we've all gone through lots of things already this week, but Father, it's just such a wonderful thing to come in the presence of your people and Lord, to come into your presence where you can just have the freedom to move among us. How different an atmosphere this is than our work and our school and, and most other places we are, Lord. So we value this time and we covet, Lord, your presence tonight, asking, Lord, that you would just break the bread of life to us and teach us, Lord, the principles and the things that we need to know to mature as sons and daughters of God. And so, Lord, we commit these needs to you. We pray for Theo and ask, Lord, that you would just undertake and just bring complete healing, Lord. We know that any healing, we know it comes from God. And so we're going to thank you, Lord, for the progress that he's made. But, Lord, he's still undergoing treatment. And so we're asking that you would just continue to undertake for him. And, Lord, for the many other needs that are mentioned, and, Lord, especially Sister Mary Smith tonight, we ask and pray that you'd uh, bind up her wounds, Lord, and uh, just give her the peace that only the Prince of Peace can give. 
We ask, Lord, your blessing upon our time tonight. May, Lord, you be uh, present in everything that's done. Lord, take complete control, we pray in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. Isaiah, the second chapter. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Isaiah and Jerusalem, and this is a future prophecy. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord, uh, the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow into it. And many people shall go and say, Come ye and let us go to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, and he will teach us of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Let's go to the source. Let's go to the place where it's coming from. And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come ye and let us walk in the light of the Lord. May God add his blessing, you may be seated tonight. Let me say uh, tonight about uh, our Easter weekend, I, I really appreciated everybody who, uh, who helped and participated and, and uh, made it such a blessing. And by that, I mean, uh, you know, I, I never like to take for granted our, our sound crew and, and the work that they do and... Uh, I know the the drums are not here tonight, and they were at home. They were uh, listening, and it was they said it was just a real blessing to listen to music, see the choir singing, and uh, to hear the word. They were really thankful for that, and that's not a that's not a light thing if you're going through uh, a season like the drums are going through, or the Smiths, or somebody like that. Very much a part of our assembly, but they have a connection because uh, of the technical uh, ability that we have here. And also our musicians and everybody who participated in the dinner and made that possible. And, and uh, one of the sisters told me, they said it was great to see everybody pitching in afterwards and making life easy. And that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be left up to a small handful of people where, or the scenario where they say uh, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. I don't believe it should be that way among us. I think we should share the load uh, and enjoy the benefits, and uh, everybody has a, a blessed time. I left the church here about 5.30, 6 o'clock or something, and there was still lots of people going strong here, and, and uh, it was really nice. So uh, we're just thankful that we have the opportunity to have that and be able to do that, and uh, we appreciate that. So uh, in, in all the efforts that were made and all the things that were done, we sure appreciate uh, that that help. All right, let's. <clears throat> we used that scripture uh, previously in uh, in the beginning of our little series on adoption in Isaiah chapter two, and this is the the principle that uh, God's word uh, will God's word will flow. It'll be projected. Uh, it will uh, come to God's people, and uh, the people of God in restoration. They will come to that word, and they'll have a desire. And I think that's still very, very true, that God's people, uh, especially the bride today, they, they have a desire to hear more. No matter how many good sermons we've heard, it, it's, it's, it's an, it should be uh, an exciting thing. We should have expectation when we come to church and uh, say, that, you know, God, you've got, you've got some reason for this gathering. 
You've got some reason for this, uh, for this uh, ministry and for this church. And so, Lord, speak to me through that and let me open my heart to it. All right, so the first thing, we, we've talked a little bit about uh, perfect faith. And we were doing that uh, a little while back. And then we talked about learning the Father's way. Now, there's more to uh, that little part, learning uh, things the Father's way. And I, I'm not done. I've, uh, all, my, all my PowerPoints have more slides in them than what I present uh, I'm sensitive to the time because I know, uh, you know, our, our days are very busy and I, I don't want to run a marathon here every Wednesday night. But uh, we'll, come, we'll, we'll integrate some of these principles that I haven't uh, talked on yet. But for, uh, uh, for tonight, I wanted to introduce this subject of stewardship and how important it is. And so uh, I trust you'll stay with me tonight. This will be a little bit different. It'll be a little bit graphic. And so uh, I want you to just uh, hang in there with me. Now, if you don't mind, we're going to look at some scriptures together. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6 here. And uh, we'll read a couple of these together. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Everybody all right? First Timothy, the 6th chapter. This is one of those chapters where you've got to read it right. You've got to make sure you've got all the words right here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. We brought nothing into the world, and it's certain we cannot bring anything out. And having food and raiment... Let us be therewith content. You know, I fly very often, and I go through the, the ordeal of telling you about, you know, how to put on a seatbelt, uh, as if you've been in a time warp for the last 50 years. But uh, they tell you, you know, take one hand and click, put it in this one over here, which I guess is good. Uh, and then they say in the event of a water landing, uh, you know, you need to pull out your cushion underneath you because it's a, a life vest and so forth. And if you have to exit the plane, and this is the sentence that always gets me, if you have to exit the plane, leave everything behind. Ah, that's where I draw the line. Because I, I, you know, I have all my peanuts and stuff in the bag and all the snacks. And I'm, I, I'm just not sure I could jump in a lifeboat in the middle of the Atlantic without my peanuts and, and snacks and things like that. So that's a, that's a tough thing. So the idea of leaving everything behind is something that, uh, you know, is, is a daunting thing to us because we, we kind of like our things. We're a people who have lots of things and we like our things. But Paul says, because we brought nothing into the world, uh, that is true and it is certain, it is absolutely certain that we can carry nothing out. And so therefore, having the basic elements of life, food and raiment, let us be therewith content. We've been working with the people in uh, Malawi and given the, the people hampers over there with just basic supplies. And I, we've been able, by God's grace, we've been able to supply hundreds and hundreds of families with uh, baskets over there and uh, necessary stuff. But, of course, that runs out. And so what we're, uh, what we're looking at is helping to give them basic necessities like a blanket and some sleeping mats and pieces of plastic so that they can construct a little shelter and they can move out of the camps that were constructed for people who lost everything. And it's a little bit unimaginable for us to think about living that way, but they, they, they estimate that if they could get that, about $62 worth of 
blankets, mats, and, and plastic, a little roll of plastic, they can create like a tent or a shelter so they can move out and begin to establish, begin to rebuild in, in, a, in a situation where they have literally nothing. They've lost everything. And so this, this idea, when we, we think about having food and raiment, we don't think that way because we think more of food, raiment, cars, riding mowers, zero-degree turn riding mowers. We think about laptops and phones, right? We think about all what we would, if we had to compose a list of necessities of life, it wouldn't just be food and raiment, realistically. If I had started this service out and gave everybody a piece of paper and said, list your necessities, I mean, everyone who's less than 30 would say a phone probably first, probably before food and raiment, right? Because, hey... But this is what Paul is saying, that when it comes down to it, he says that they that will be rich, in verse 9, will, they that will be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all evil. Money isn't the root of all evil, but the love of it is. In which while some coveted after they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through uh, with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, Flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, and patience, and meekness, and fight the good fight of faith, and so forth. So there are some things that uh, Paul identifies for us, and I'm grateful that he does, that he identifies as being uh, things to run from and things to be content with. And, and this, is, this is a part of our definition of stewardship. Now, for, uh, allow me tonight to talk a little bit about stewardship, but if you don't mind disengage your understanding of the word stewardship from just money. It's not just about money. There's all kinds of other things that God's given to you that you are a steward over, whether you know it or not, and whether you believe it or not, you're given stewardship over time, for instance. You're given stewardship over resources that God has placed in your, in your hand. And so there's, there's lots of things, like your children, that God gives to you. They're not yours, but he gives them to you for a season. And we had to be ready to accept them with thanksgiving and let them go with the same. And so therefore, uh, they, they don't define us. Our possessions don't define us, and neither should they. They should not be our goal, nor will they ever be, because what, what a silly thing to accumulate, work your whole life to accumulate something that you're going to leave behind. Because if, if you brought nothing in, you're going to bring nothing out. What a silly thing to put all your energy into possessing something or gaining more of things that you're not going to be able to take with you. I mean, that really is kind of silly when you put it that way, isn't it? But that's, that's the truth about uh, the, the journey in this life. So stewardship is about much more than money, but it does include money. And so we want to talk about, uh, we want to talk about this definition here, first of all. Let me ask you a question here. How many of you own your own house? You see your hands. You have a home that's paid for, it's yours. You don't know anything on it. <laughs> Sorry. There were hands that were up and the hands went down quickly. Hands are back up again. Uh, how many of you own your own house? That you're, you're, it's your house, paid for. Good? Okay. And uh, how many of you own a car? Paid for? It's yours? Good? Great stuff. Uh, how many of you own... Uh, more than one computer in your household. Paid for, you're not paying on it, it's yours. Okay, great. Some of you are reluctant there. The, some of you were just going like this. 
It's, it's okay. It's okay if you have two computers. <clears throat> well, I have news for you. All of you who just answered in the positive are all wrong. Because it isn't yours at all. I read in the Bible that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Meaning, if I understand it correctly, meaning he has ownership of everything. And if he owns everything, guess how much you own? Nothing. You own nothing. The sooner you get to the place where you realize you own nothing, the better off you'll be. That is a freeing concept that you own nothing. The earth is the Lord's. So what, you know, whatever, uh, whatever we possess, uh, we need to realize that it somehow has been channeled from God to me. And I really don't own it because I don't get to keep it eternally. And God has allowed me by grace to have certain things put in my hand. But you know what? It's all his. I mean, he made that. He established that a long time ago. Even, you know what? Even before we had our first phone, he owned everything. If he owns everything, then it would be vital for us to learn to turn to God before we possess or dispossess anything and say, Lord, this is your house. We're thankful that we've had the funds to be able to pay for it and to be able to you know, make, make the commitment and, and so forth. We're thankful for that. But what do you want us to do with it next? Do you want us to sell this? Do you want us? Or if you're buying your first home, uh, you're, you're, you know, you're saying, Lord, I, uh, we're, we're planning to make a decision. That decision's going to affect us for a long time. And so uh, help us, Lord, to be able to make the right decision. We want to make a decision that pleases you because we're only really going after something that's already yours. And so we want to we do, do it the right way. We want to do it in a way that pleases you. And we want to keep that attitude that no matter how much we have in this life, none of it really is owned by us. Some of you are reluctant and the amens are muted, but it's true nonetheless. Now, here Paul, here David says it again. But what's interesting here is that between the Old and the New Testament, there's no variation in translation. The Hebrew and the Greek match. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. You can go take a look at it uh, in, the, in the both uh, sides of the scripture there. So he's established, rather than a system of giving away all the assets that are in the earth and all the things that are in the earth, I would like to say to you and I'd like to introduce to you that he has established, rather, a management system. We're managers in the program. We are, if you like, a management group, a group of people who manage someone else's assets. Because after all, I don't own them. I, I just don't own them. So therefore, I, I find in the scripture, when I go back and look at this, that God, uh, in the beginning, when he dealt with Adam, you remember what he did? <clears throat> the wording is great. It's very clear. And God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. I uh, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and take it to yourselves. He doesn't say that. He says, have dominion over it. 
dominion over the sea, fowl of the air, every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish, and subdue it, and have it all to yourselves. That's not what he says. He says, I have created it. I look at it, and I say, this is very good. Now, I'm going to give you dominion over it. He didn't say, I'm going to give you the ownership of it. As a matter of fact, in my search, I found nowhere does God say, I, I'm going to give you the earth. I'm going to give you the, uh, all the assets of the earth you know, to, to, so that you would own them forever. God doesn't do that. But I will give you dominion over it. <clears throat> and I need you to know that God will actually give you the freedom to be able to operate uh, in, in, in having the dominion over the earth. Uh, even, even a freedom to mess it up. Hold on, stay with me. Genesis chapter 2. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And every plant of the field before it was in the earth, and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord had not caused the rain upon the earth, and there was no man to serve. Now this is before the fall. You remember after the fall when God handed out the judgments to the woman, uh, she'll you know, travail in birth and so forth, and uh, with the man, he says, you'll till the ground and, and so on. This is not a new concept for God, but when he, when he said that to Adam after the fall, it was a form of judgment because now it would be a difficult thing in the sweat of thy brow. But when God placed Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, he gave them, he was he, he had everything prepared. He had the field, he had the seed, he had the conditions that were ripe, but he had no man to serve in the capacity, listen, of multiplying and replenishing. Because that's what he told Adam and Eve to do. I know it's Wednesday night, but you need to listen to what I'm going to tell you. To multiply and replenish is not just to have a bunch of kids and then have more kids and then have more grandkids. I think having more grandkids is always good, but that's not just what God meant. Listen to what God meant. When he, said multi- when he said to Adam and Eve, multiply and replenish the earth, he said, look, I've created the earth. I've put all the seeds in it. Everything that needs to be is already there. You know what you need to do? Develop the potential. You need to develop what's already there. Are we okay? Do you believe that God has already put uh, the, the capacity for bringing forth life in a man and woman when they are born on the earth? Right? You know what they need to do? They need to develop the capacity that God's already given them. It's already planted there. Now they need to bring that out. God made the earth, put everything in it. Now, he says, Adam, you till the ground. In other words, you serve and work in this capacity that I give you to have dominion. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to bring out the, the, the fruit of the earth. You're going to bring out the, the good things that are already in the earth that I've placed there. I've placed them there. I want you to work it to bring it out. God has placed in every one of us a capacity. God's placed in every one of us seeds. He's placed in every one of us talents and gifts. Isn't that right? Brother Sam can look at an old forklift over there, a rusty old forklift with pieces missing and say, man, that's a beauty. I don't look at it that way. I mean, I'd say, well, I'd never buy that. But you know what? <clears throat> Someone chopped down a big hickory tree today up in our town took a picture of it and sent it to me and said, hey, do you want it? I said, hey, now, now we're talking. Because I, I look at a tree on the ground and I think, whoa, now that's got potential. 
we were driving, Brother David and I were driving from my father-in-law's house here, coming back to our house, and uh, we came, we turned a corner in a little spot we hadn't been in a while, and, and uh, there was a huge tree that blew down in the storm, huge tree. I mean, I jammed on the brakes, and I'm I getting all excited. Now, Brother David's wondering why I'm getting so excited about this. Don't tell David Whitlock this, but uh, I thought, wow, there's about 12 feet of beautiful wood in the base of that tree that would be great. And I look at that and all I see is potential. You know what? It's, it's, still a, it's still a log. But I look at that and say, wow, it's amazing what I can do with that. Now, if you don't mind, stop for a minute from the sermon. This has nothing to do with the sermon, all right? So, but I need you all, if you were taking notes, take note of this. <clears throat> Even if I'm not here and that tree out there blows down, I want the first 12 feet of it, okay? I hope it never goes, because to me, that's a, that's a, 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 you know, a, a time sign for us. It's always been here since I came here, and it, it's such a great stately old tree. I love that tree out front here. Everybody know what I'm talking about? If you haven't seen it, there's a tree out in the yard out here. But if it ever goes down, and if it ever falls, or lightning strikes it, or whatever else, and even if I'm not here, even if I'm in a wheelchair, looking like a shrinkle raisin, sitting in the corner telling stories that everybody's already heard before, you cut the first 12 feet of that off. Call Brother David, and we'll get that shipped up to my town. That is a beautiful piece of wood. You know, I, I, I look at your, all of you, you're all so varied and different. And some of you in the medical field, some of you in the technical field, and some of you in the, in the education field and, and different things. And you, you have a, a passion about certain things. You know, I, I just, uh, just marvel sometimes, Brother Chris down there, at, you know, just uh, taking a, uh, just a, a mountain of data and, and working it into something that makes sense. And I think, wow, that's great. And it's also great that I don't have to do that. Because I, I just, I'd, be, I'd be intimidated by a mountain of data like that. But, but you know what that is? That's not Brother Chris uh, figuring something out. That's rather him giving expression to something that God has already placed in it. I believe God placed something in me to preach the gospel. I believe God had to place something in you to be a nurse. If you're a nurse or a doctor, God had to put something in you that he didn't put in everybody to be a nurse or a doctor and to be able to care for people and, you know, to be able to uh, look, at, look at situations and, and to be able to, you know, go to it, put their hands on it and to be able to help somebody. Those are, those are things that are there. And you know what? If you went to school and learned to be a doctor and a nurse and, you know, and, and uh, develop that skill, what, what you did was you developed the potential that God placed in you to become. You were meant to become something. God wanted you to serve in this particular capacity. And uh, you, 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 you surrendered yourself to that process. Even if you never really knew what you were doing till tonight, you surrendered yourself to that process that allowed you to be able to develop that thing that God placed in you. This is exactly what he's telling Adam and Eve here. And these are the generations of the heavens and the earth. In other words, the earth is going to go through seasons and years and, and time. And every plant of the field, before it was in the earth, 
And every herb of the field before it grew, the Lord God had not caused it to rain. And there was not a man to serve the ground. God had all of this in mind that it was all going to come out of the earth. And God placed, Brother Branham tells us this, God placed seeds in there, he said, and allowed those seeds to develop over time. So man is involved in developing the potential. I'll tell you what, I think it's a terrible thing when I hear stories of young men who don't, uh, don't have any passion or drive or incentive to work and to get out and make a living, even if they're doing menial tasks in their early years. I, I think it's a, it's a great thing for a young men, and that's for all you young men, uh, to learn how to work and, and learn how to find out what skills God has given me and what potentials do I have. Because to me, the lion's share, the majority of the support and uh, provision for a family should come from the men, from the male side. Now, I know it, it's not always the case, and sometimes, you know, both husband and wife are work and have to work, and I understand all of that. But I believe that God put it in a man to, to leave home and to establish his own home and to think about uh, going out of the cave in the morning and killing, that, killing something, dragging it back to the cave and uh, allowing his family to survive. I saw uh, a cartoon the other day, and I had to look at it a couple of times to figure out what it was because I'm not a millennial. But it was a caveman going out, and he was dragging back a deer, like an animal like that, dra- dragging it back to the cave, dressed like a caveman. And he was come, dragging it back to the cave because he had killed it. And then he was sitting down on the ground playing a video game like this. But I think it's a terrible thing when a young man fails to develop the talents and gifts that God's given to him and doesn't think about, well, you know, should I go to school and whatever else I'm going to, I'm going to forfeit that. I'm going to let the government pay for my uh, family's needs or whatever else and and, uh, fail to to develop. And this is what God was telling Adam and Eve. This is the way it's going to be. You're going to play a part in this. This is not judgment. You're going to play a part in this. He's not condemning Adam here. He's just saying, I need somebody to serve in this capacity. I need somebody to take dominion over this. I need somebody to dominate this earth here because if we don't have somebody to dominate, weeds and and all kinds of nasty things are going to come in here and I need somebody who will oversee this. And, and you know that that's true. If, if a man doesn't take his position in the home, all kinds of weeds and all kinds of nasty things are going to grow up in that household. Isn't that right? And so this is, this is the principle in Genesis 2. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And those words, dress and keep, <clears throat> they mean labor. Now you say, well, hey, the kingdoms of the world seemed like they were in the hands of Satan when he offered them to Jesus. Because he couldn't have offered them to Jesus if he didn't have them. But remember now that Adam forfeited his right to this world when he sinned in the Garden of Eden. Isn't that right? So listen now. What this tells us is that when God gives dominion, you have a freedom with that dominion even to mess it up. You have a freedom with that dominion even to forfeit it into the hands of the enemy, which is exactly what Adam did. When he disobeyed, come on, when he disobeyed God, what happened? The enemy got possession of it. He had a right to it because Adam disobeyed and did what, did what the enemy said. Now look here. It's also true that when you get a mortgage from the bank, the banker doesn't say, now look, you've got to have your lawn mowed every week. Uh, you have to have the house painted. You have to have uh, your shingles replaced every 20 years. And he doesn't give you a list of things to do. Matter of fact, you can trash the house, even though you don't own it. 
right? The bank owns it. If the bank holds a mortgage, uh, they, they have the deed to the house. And you have a freedom to do what you want with that possession. Isn't that true? Because they're not coming by from the bank and saying, hey, 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 grass is a little long here, buddy. You need your hedges trimmed. Bank's not doing that. You have a freedom. You have a freedom to even misuse the things that, that are, uh, you are a steward over. It's not a good thing. It's not a good thing to make bad decisions about things that are not yours. But nonetheless, you can, you can, you, it's yours to manage but not own. And that's what's really important, the really important principle about stewardship. Now, we find in Psalm 115, I'm just giving you a couple of Bible verses here until we get into this. He will bless them that fear the Lord, both small and great. And the Lord shall increase you more and more and your children. Now, remember now, we're, we're talking about adoption. We're talking about one of the principles that God wants us to know. And that is uh, to be good stewards over all God's given to us. Okay? So he says, the Lord will increase you more and more, you and your children. And ye are blessed of the Lord which made heaven and earth. And the heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth, or in the Hebrew language, it means the peoples of the earth and the communities and the nations and so forth, he has given to the children of men. So for the most part, our nations are run by children of the nation. Isn't that right? God's given us a freedom. Uh, in our world, uh, to be able to establish a democracy, and some people will establish a, uh, what do you call it, a, uh, not a democracy, what's the opposite of a democracy? A dictatorship, right? There's some, some nations that are run by dictators. And so, there's a freedom in the earth, and this is what uh, David is telling us here, that uh, God is going to bless people, both small and great, and it'll increase you and your children, and you're blessed of the Lord, and so forth, those that follow, follow the Lord. But he says, the earth he has given to the children of men. And so, we make choices about the earth that we live in. I'm not being ecological here, I'm not being a conservationist here, I'm not uh, on the bandwagon for global warming. However, I am saying that uh, there, are, there are things about this earth that we have made decisions about. And there's some things about this earth that we have really messed up. I'm not saying we as a church here, but we, we make our own pile of garbage out back here. That seems to be very healthy, very healthy. But nonetheless, mankind in general has been given a freedom to govern the earth. You know why? Because God put them in a position to have dominion over it. It isn't, it isn't mankind's earth. It's God's earth because the earth is the Lord's. Do you believe that? But God's given us a freedom in our dominion of the earth to make decisions about it, even if the decisions are not always good. Okay, now stay with me now. I just want you to get the principle that the fact that uh, everything we have in this life is, has been given to us by God or we've been blessed by God to have it, and we had to be careful about how we deal with it. So a steward, by definition, is the manager of a household or household affairs whom the proprietor or the owner has entrusted the management of his affairs, the care of receipts and expenditures, an overseer, like the treasurer of a city. How many remember Joseph in the book of Genesis, right? He became a a steward over uh, all that Egypt had. So Pharaoh owned it because he couldn't be greater than the throne. Pharaoh owned it all, but uh, Joseph was an overseer of that. He was a steward of that. In other words... With stewardship, there is also this idea of accountability. 
What did you do with this fun, this amount of grain that you have? What did you do with the funds that I gave you? Remember the story of the parable in uh, the, the book of Matthew where Jesus said, uh, uh, you know, a, a man of the house went away. Uh, he was going to go away to a far country. And he gave uh, some five talents and he gave another one three talents and he gave another one one talent. Remember that? The talents were all the same. There was no difference in the talents. The amount of the talents were different, but the talents were the same. And then he went away and came back and said, now what did you do with the talents? So it's a little parable, which is a powerful one about stewardship. And I'm giving you something. It's not yours. They're my talents. But I'm giving to you to use. And when I come back, I want to see what you did with what I gave you to use. So that's what a steward is. And he's a protector and a developer. The the and is missing. A protector and developer of the assets of the owner. So when Jesus told the disciples in Matthew, Matthew 16, for instance, or uh, in, in, the, in the last of his appearance to the disciples, he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Develop what I've given you. I have, I have a bride out there. I have a, a, rede- a redeemed people out there. You go out and find them. We don't want uh, to look at the kingdom as just 120 people here. There are all kinds of people. You know what you've got to do? you got to go out and subdue. You have to work. You're part of this. You're going to be a laborer in this as well. So it's not the Holy Spirit himself just finding everybody. It's us going out to witness. It's us going out to preach. It's us going out to share the good news. Somebody say amen. amen. That's what stewards do. So Brother Branham says, now while we are here together and all of us longing the same thing. He said, make us true stewards and may we, may we shape our lives by self-control that we'll know by the help of the Holy Spirit to have full confidence that Jesus will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant at that day. I want him to be able to say, listen, I gave you the message. I gave you the message in your language. I gave you the knowledge to know how to print. I gave you the knowledge and the resources to be able to get it done and get it distributed all over the world. I don't believe my eternal salvation rests on whether I do or whether I don't, but what a shame if I don't multiply and replenish. In other words, I can take one message and turn it into 100,000. I can turn, take one sermon and turn it into a million and give it to the people of Malawi. They have a million sermons in their hand over there because we took one and it was multiplied. Everyone doesn't know how to do that. Everybody doesn't have a passion when it comes to opening up a book and smelling the ink. Oh, I'll tell you, I do. I still do. But I'll tell you, it's not just the love of ink. It's the message. It's, it's what's being said. And, and, and shame on us if we don't do what God's placed in us to develop. Do you understand? He's not just saying, look, you have the potential to have a dozen kids. He's saying, you have the potential to be a man of God. You have a potential to influence people under your ministry. You have a potential uh, to spread the message. You have the potential to be a pastor. You have the potential to be not only a father and a, a husband, but a leader and a pastor and a minister or a deacon or a singer. And I put gifts to be able to sing inside you and, and to love music. And uh, have a passion about music. I, I didn't give that to Brother Barry, but I gave it to you. And so therefore, shame on us if we don't take those things that God has clearly placed in us and develop them and multiply them and say, let me affect not only our church, but even beyond that, let me affect other people. And that's what, that's what Brother Barry was talking about here. So 
in the same way that we would bring our tithes into the storehouse because God is saying, when you get into the channel and do the thing that you're supposed to do with what I've given you, then you watch what I do with that. Because if you take it and multiply it, you watch what I do and multiply what you've multiplied. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is a, this is a great concept. But let's get practical for a minute. Is that all right? I got a few minutes left. Let's get practical. That's like, that's a Brother Diggs. Uh, I got a few minutes left. Okay. Every family has stress. Every marriage has stress within it. You don't have to try. It's there. The first thing by survey, the first thing that Christian families say is, is a stressor is finances and budgeting. And I will tell you that it's not a lack of money, it's a lack of management of the money you're given. That's where the stress comes. When a husband and wife doesn't agree uh, about what they should do and what they should purchase and whether uh, the percentage of their debt is too high or too low or whatever else, those things become stressors. So that is the top of 10, that's the top uh, issue that relates to stress within a marriage. Children's behavior, discipline, insufficient time, lack of shared responsibility, communication with children, insufficient personal time, guilt for not accomplishing more, poor relationship with your spouse, insufficient playtime, and overscheduled family calendar. So those are just some of the things that cause stress. But the number one thing, and it's important for us to recognize that the number one thing uh, often has to do with finances, Okay. So let me give me, a, give me a little bit here. How badly are we in debt? Now, I don't know how badly you are, and I'm not here to find that out. I'm not here to focus on uh, the situation you may or may not be in. Not at all. But I am uh, commissioned to give you the full counsel of God. Okay? So I know some of you are getting real nervous looking. Some of you are okay, but some of you are getting nervous looking. But I'm not here to pick on anybody because I know your situations very often are different. I haven't done this for a while. I will tell you that it's been on my heart over the last little while to do a financial peace class again. Uh, I'm just trying to find out where we can plug it in, but I think that's a good thing for us to do. Uh, and we have a growing number of young people. I'd like to make it 99.999% mandatory for them. Uh, because this is a real issue in the world that we live in. It's a real issue. And so therefore, uh, just give me, uh, give you, let me give you a little perspective. Now, I realize too, I'm, I'm in the, you know, our house is honored with the presence of many financial experts here, and I don't want to try to uh, step on their toes or anything else, and let, they, they have the right to correct me. I, don't, I have a right not to listen, but they have a right to correct me. Uh, but just a few things here, just a few things, all right? Uh, in, in terms of uh, our national debt, and this is, in a sense, that's a little bit out from you. It's not your household, but our nation is in an increasingly weakened condition because of the amount of debt that we carry. Now, there's a certain amount of debt that nations have naturally in order to do business. What's shocking about this graph is that you see such a sudden and dramatic rise in the last, uh, the last few years, even like the last five years. You see a really dramatic uh, increase there. Well, you, you, you have to deal with debt at some point, in some way. You have to deal with it. Whether it's you and your household or whether it's the nation, you have to deal with it. And unfortunately, the farther you are up that graph, the more vulnerable you become to problems up the road. 
And, 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 and essentially, if something else happens, God forbid if there's another pandemic, because a lot of these T, uh, T words up here are caused because there was a lot of money that was borrowed to give away to Americans during the pandemic. Well, that, that goes on the balance sheet, right? I mean, that goes in the P&L, and we've got to pay that back sometime. And so therefore, uh, you know, if something else happens, do we do this again and drive that line up farther? Or uh, let me ask you this way. What politician is going to say, look, folks, we need to roll up our sleeves and pay back our debt. We raise our taxes a little bit so we all share in paying back the debt. Yeah, right. There ain't no politician going to put his neck on the line, even though that's exactly what needs to happen. We need to humble ourselves and, and realize that as a nation, we have extended ourselves by choice. And you know what? We need to fix that. We need to fix it. We're not going to fix it overnight. We're not going to fix it probably one election cycle. But you know what? If we don't fix it, oh, well, the Catholic Church will fix it. But we are spenders. America consumes 56% of the world's manufactured goods. That's why there's over a million containers a day that arrive on our shores. A million, say it with me, uh, you've got to say it like this, a million containers arrive on our shores every day with stuff. Because we love our stuff. But we only have 5% of the world's population. So therefore we have more, more uh, income, more wealth, to be able to spend on more stuff than any other nation in the world. That's just the way it is. So when it comes down personally now, Americans' uh, credit card uh, balances are rising quickly. I have one message for you from this graph, and that is the pandemic didn't teach us anything. If you look at the line going downwards, consumers paid credit card debt during the pandemic. People got, got, they got to thinking about that. They got, they got free money, so-called free money. Uh, they didn't realize that their children and grandchildren were going to have to pay it back, but they got free money. And so a lot of people said, hey, you know what? This is a good time for us to clean this up. And we can't go out to Outback, and we can't go to Starbucks, and we can't do this. And we all get, the only money we spend now is on masks. So therefore, let's, let's use the surplus income and pay down our debt. And they did. But you know what? As soon as we, as soon as we laid down our mask, you know what we did? Back to Starbucks and back to Outbucks and uh, all the other places that we went to, right? And so now it's increased over 15%. And those, those lines are pretty dramatic. Ask people who understand graphs. And statistics, and they'll tell you these are dramatic rises and falls. And, and so, therefore, it represents a real, a real shift here. And people feel like, hey, we're going to spend like there's no tomorrow. We're going to rebound, and we're going to buy all the stuff we never bought in the last two years. And, and that's what happens. They just, they just go nuts. So how much debt, credit card debt do Americans have? Ameri- and I'm not talking about you now. Americans' total credit card balance is 986 Billion. Now you don't have to go real far to get into the letter, the words that begin with T. So you start to break that down per family, it kind of gets scary because it's almost a hundred thousand dollars per family if we had to pay back all of that. That's a lot. America's total credit card balance. This is now people buying stuff. 
okay, and paying for dinner or whatever else, you know. And I'm not saying there's anything evil or wrong with that. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that that's, that's where we are. I looked and got these. These are 2023 credit card uh, and debt statistics from LendingTree. They're a very good, it's a very good source for stuff like this. And this is the latest data from the Federal uh, Reserve Bank. They, they, they study this stuff. They look at it. So where, how does this happen? Where, how do we get here? The reason we get here is because of marketing. A lot of marketing is done to make people feel like, i got to have it. i just got to have it. And so the highest number of bankruptcies, when, when you look at the statistics and the numbers, American families whose ages are between 35 and 44, that's the highest number of families that go bankrupt. You know why? Because at this point, the, the initial purchases that they made, they thought they could keep up with the payments. And buying something with the intent of just keeping up with the, the payments is not a good strategy because if something changes like interest rates or we go into a 2008 kind of a thing, which none of us caused ourselves, but happened anyway, and all of a sudden you have inflation and you have recession and you have all the other little squiggly things that happen in the economy, now all of a sudden we can't keep up with the payments so well. And something's got to give. The next highest number of bankruptcies is younger families, 25 to 34. What a shame that, that younger families would be in a position of vulnerability in the early stages of their marriage. But I'll, I'll tell you, a lot of it is marketing. This is a sign that I actually saw in a loan office. We'll loan you enough money to get completely out of debt. Duh. And if you don't know what that means, you come see me afterwards, all right? You cannot borrow your way out of debt. <laughs> Jeremiah, if you're in a hole, not, and I'm not saying you are, unless you are, okay? But if you're in a hole, if you want to get out of that hole, you don't dig at the bottom. If you're in a hole and you want to get out of the hole, don't dig at the bottom. Start filling it in. You can't borrow your way out of debt. So with the American government, unfortunately... It's, it's almost like we can, we can keep doing this. We can keep digging at the bottom of the hole and not worry about filling that hole back in. And it's a shame. But try to find a politician that you could send to Washington that would actually do that. But again, marketing is a very powerful thing. I thought this was interesting. This is an ad for Volvo. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of just about anything you please. Volvo, a car that can not only help save your life, but save your soul. Volvo. Why wouldn't you buy a Volvo if you read that ad? And you got a lot of people looking at that and saying, honey, you know, we, we really should. We, we really should. I mean, what if they're half right, you know? Marketing is a very powerful thing. And, and I was listening. Uh, my wife was, was talking today and uh, talking about the... Uh, the way, that, the way that things are processed today, they're made uh, expendable on purpose. Purposely expendable. And there's a phrase for that, and I just don't remember it at the moment here. But Matt has your hand up. That's interesting. Planned obsolescence is exactly right. Are you in my wife's class? Planned obsolescence. And that is a phrase for the fact that they design a phone that is not going to stay up to date. Because none of you have the original, except Jeremy, 
None of you have the phone that you originally started with, except Jeremy. None of you have the phone because all of a sudden you hear, hey, the next level, buddy, the next level is coming. And it is so great. And it is so fast. And you can watch so many. You can watch Netflix and Prime and Juno all at the same time. And you, you, you buy that with the intent, wow, it costs a lot of money, but I'm going to make the plunge anyway, and I'll have it for a long time. Until you hear, now there is 12G. And you look at that and say, what a dumb phone I've got. Your, your computer, how many of you are still running Windows Millennium? <laughs> it's, it's intentional obsolescence. It's meant to become obsolete. That, there's, a, there's an intention behind that. How many of you remember the old days when you bought a washing machine and you could hardly lift it because it was made with real, <laughs> real metal parts? Right? Now, it's pretty much collapsible, right? Comes in a little flat box and you... <laughs> and I asked, I have a repair guy. Repair guy's great. I mean, he's great. He, he knows all this stuff. And he says, he says, let me show you. He said, I can tell you before I open it up. He said, it's plastic parts. Plastic parts are not meant to last because they grind. You know, you get a full tub in the washer. And, and the kids want to put their sneakers in there all the time. And it, it grinds and it doesn't last. It's designed to last only a time. So someone's making money either on warranties or they're replacing it uh, in, in, in a heartbeat. Things have changed. Household debt is on the rise as we uh, ended 2022. Uh, collectively, we owed 17... Hold on. U.S. households collectively owed $17 trillion to start 2023. That would include your mortgage. That would include debts, including car payments and so forth, credit cards. That would include uh, things like student debt. The average household collectively owed $17 trillion to start 2023. And the government is in it for 31. I guess we'll all eventually move to China. The average household has 100,667 in mortgage debt at the end of 2022. Now, listen, there's, there's, a, 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 there's a comment here that we need to make because a house is an appreciating asset. The more you pay for that, uh, generally the more it will increase in value. It will hold equity and so forth and become more than what you paid for it. A car is not the same way. A laptop's not the same way. But a house is. So when you purchase a house, generally, if you don't pay too much for it, it will increase in value. So the average household then uh, is, is, is ranked at 142680 at the end of 2022. Now look, some of you are looking at me and saying, so what? Some of you are looking at me and saying, would you move on to something else? <clears throat> I'm just here to tell you that you need to look at your situation honestly. And I don't mean to make anybody feel bad because we're all in different situations. And I'm honestly not. I'm just saying that as stewards, this is kind of a fast and quick example of taking a snapshot, taking a look at, well, how are we doing with the things that God's given to us? How are we doing with the assets God's put in our hand? 
And we want to be responsible. We want to be prayerful about that. We want to, uh, you know, decide in a, uh, in a spiritual way, being led to purchase, to expand, to grow. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Because the whole idea from the Garden of Eden was to multiply and replenish. So we're, we're, this is not meant to stay where it is. It's meant to grow. Just like your family, it, it, it grows. More kids come, and then there's grandkids, and there's great-grandkids, and all of that. So it's meant to grow. So because someone has more and is able to invest in a, a better home or a, another vehicle or whatever else, it does nothing, and I don't want to imply at all that there's anything evil about that. But you have, to, you have to be responsible enough to realize, I have to make that choice. I have to take that step. And I have to count the cost before I do it. And that's what Jesus taught us, to count the cost. This is the average household auto loan is 13000 the average household. But here's what's interesting. Why do, most, why do families go bankrupt in America? A new study from the academic researchers found that 66, this is on CNBC, it's on the, the link is on the bottom, found that 66.5% of all bankruptcies were tied to medical issues. In our day and age, with all the insurance that we have, most bankruptcies are tied to, by a large percentage point, they're tied to medical issues because it's something that they never expected. Something happened. It might be an accident or it might be a sickness or whatever else. It, it is something that, uh, that, that was not planned and either because of high cost for care or time out from work, which is kind of going to happen, right? If you've got a sick child you're going to be reluctant to leave that child and go back to work. An estimated 530,000 families turn to bankruptcy every year because of medical issues and bills the research found. And what we also find is that hospital systems are generally less cooperative in making deals, in settling. And they have costs that they have to deal with as well. They have to pay uh, you know, their staff and all the other things that go into it. And I'm not saying one is right or wrong. I'm just saying that we find ourselves in a place where hospitals and medical providers generally tend to be a little bit more uh, stiff in terms of dealing with them. So therefore, you have to stand back and think, okay, could that happen to me? Yes. Yes. Could that, could that happen to me? Am I, am I, for instance, as a caregiver? So Brother Andy over here, he's the, he's the primary solo income earner for his family. So you know what? If there's anybody in that household going to need to be insured, it'd be him. Because if, he, if he's out of the workplace... I'm just, and I'm just using it as, as an example. I don't know your situation. But as a solo bread earner... So if, if that income is lost, what happens to that household? So we have, to th- we have to think a little bit about that. Are there solutions? Yes, there are solutions. But sometimes we might have to forego something in order to make a good decision over here. Because a prudent man foreseeth the evil and prepares himself, Right? So other reasons for bankruptcies are mortgage foreclosures, 45%. So uh, naturally, a foreclosure generally follows a mortgage problem here and uh, followed by spending a living beyond uh, your means or providing for friends or relatives, <laughs> uh, student loans, and then uh, divorce or separation. So in, in reality, the average savings in a, in a Japanese household is 18%. They save 18% of their income uh, on average. In Canada, they save 1.4%. In America, we save, that should be, the minus is up here. (laughs) 
See that on that line? <laughs> Lucas, can you fix that for me? I failed. I failed. Let's stand to our feet and let's stop right here. No, I'm only kidding. Sit down, Brother Aaron. <laughs> Isn't it true that everybody's allowed one mistake in life? I'm making that bigger so you can read it from the back. And here you are laughing at me. The average savings per American household, give me a break, is minus 2.2%. How do you get minus 2.2% saving? You know what, how you do it? You spend more than you bring in. Right? You're spending 102.2% of your income, and, and that's how. So in other words, on average, and I'm just saying on average, we are not preparing for the, uh, for the catastrophe. We're not preparing for the thing that may or may not happen. We're not looking very far ahead. If we're spending more than we bring in in the run of a month, we're not doing that. Deuteronomy 8.13, And thou shalt say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand hath given me this wealth. But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. This is what God told him right from the beginning. You say, well, I I earned this, and I bought this, and I paid for my house. He said, hey, thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power. It is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. That he may establish his covenant which he swore unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And in blessing, Abraham, your seed shall be blessed. Right? That's what he said. And so, therefore, I'm going to give you the ability to, to be able to gain wealth, to be able to have good armies, to be able to have weapons, to be able to uh, survive and thrive and grow and multiply. I'm going to give you that. So don't go around saying, hey, I did this. No, you know what? God did that because he loves you. God did that. It's interesting when Brother Branham uh, made this statement in 1965. It was a Wednesday night. He said, folks, at the end of the service, clean up your lives and pay your debts and owe no man. Jesus said, now, I, I don't mean things like your house rent and stuff. He said, you got to do that and get all the things off your hands. Get everything right. Get ready. Get ready. Make ready. Get ready. Remember, in the name of the Lord, something's fixing to happen. It's a general admonition at the end of the service on Wednesday night. By Sunday morning, he's got all kinds of mail. And people are saying, now I see here, this is a Sunday morning after that Wednesday night. He said, now I see here laying here, there's many requests this last week on what I said last Sunday on the message, and it was Wednesday. And you know, no matter what you say, it's misunderstood by many, not because they don't want to misunderstand, but they simply misunderstand it. And now he said, someone said, should we buy a car? Now that isn't what Jesus spoke of, or the Bible there. Oh, no man, nothing. That's lingering debts that you could pay. So when you enter into a contract, for instance, and you feel like, all right, in the budget here, we can afford to buy a van, and we have to because our van has got 8.7 million miles on it, and uh, our car seats are stuck to the seats themselves. They can't, we can't dislodge them. So we need it, and there's no engine anymore and all of that. So we need to replace it. We need to buy another one. And you, in the budget, you work that out and so forth, and enter into an agreement. You make a payment every month. That's not what Brother Ram's talking about. Now, if you can't afford to make the van payment, then you shouldn't enter into that in the first place. But if, if that's in the budget and you've got to do, you replace your car, it's fine. He said, but lingering debts that you could pay. Does anybody know what a brother deal is? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Didn't mean to cause such a reaction here in some. You know, hey, God bless you, brother. <laughs> I've seen so many brother deals go south. It's a shame. It's an absolute shame. And, and we, if nothing else, we should be a community of people 
who are, who are willing to stand by our word. If, if I make a promise and I say, hey, I'm having a rough time and I need $1,000, hey, how about it, Brother Barry, I'll pay you back. Uh, you know what? I should not have to chase after you to do what you said you'd do. Among us, we shouldn't have that. And, and this is really what Brother Bram's talking about, lingering things that you could pay off. He said, pay them. That's owing no man nothing. My, we owe our rent, our phone bill, and what more? That's part of life. He said, we owe those things and pay them. But an old lingering debt that you could be paying on, pay it off. And don't go with anything hanging on you like that. So in other words, if you, if you agreed, if you made an agreement that you're going to do this and uh, you know, pay tuition for your children or you're going to have a credit card. And when you, by the way, when you sign up for a credit card and sign that little document, that's called a promissory note. And if you read the fine print that nobody reads, it'll say, I promise to repay. When I borrow using this means, I promise to repay. And I'm going to do that. So when you don't do that, let me tell you, Racking up a bunch of debt and saying, well, you know what? When it gets too much, I'll just go bankrupt. That's not how a Christian should react. That's how a lot of people do it, but that's not how a Christian should react. Now, there are, there are you know, occasions where bankruptcy can be considered. But I, I, I've, I've mentioned to you before, I had a brother, good brother, came to me one time, drove all the way to Virginia, and he said, Brother Barry, I need to go bankrupt. And uh, he said, I, I need your help and know how to do it. I said, oh, Really? I said, is that bad? He said, yeah. He said, I, he said, I, I just, I, I'm, it's hopeless, absolutely hopeless. I said, I'll tell you what. Let's apply the doctrine of the shoebox. I said, you take an old shoebox and put in all your receipts and everything, put it all in there and all your things you pay every month and put your check stub in there for what money you bring in. Put it all in the shoebox and bring it to me. He said, okay, I'll do it. Came on a Sunday. Came on a Sunday, before I was here, and came on a Sunday, and uh, he, he dumped it all out on the table, and so we sorted it all out and looked at it all. And I said, over here is your income side, and we looked at the income side, the money he was bringing in, and looked at the, we, we finally, after sorting all of this out, we made a list of what he owed every month and what he could pay off and everything else. We got a nice little concise little list, and over there, and I said, now, I got a question for you. I said, where's the bankruptcy issue here? I said, you bringing in enough money here to, uh, to pay every month to get through and, and then throw a little bit at the debt that you have over here? He said, no. I said, yeah, <laughs> unless I'm missing something. I said, we have everything here. This is what it looks like. He said, huh, I never knew that. I never knew that. And I said, bingo, we found a problem. And he realized that. He realized that it was not more money that was needed. It was just management and a little bit of organization here. And he thought, well, when you get into a spot like this, we're going to just wipe it all off and start again. But I told him, I said, wiping it all off is not going to change your habits. I said, most of the problems are habit problems. They're not, they're not lack of money problems. They're habits. And we get into habits. We really get into habits easily with money. And so therefore, we have to, uh, we, we have to really think about that and make sure that, uh, that we uh, you know, deal wisely with this. And when he went off, he was quite happy. He said, I got money to pay. I can pay. I said, I don't want any money at all. I said, glad to help. And he went off with his shoebox. It was all organized and paper clips. And he went off. He was real happy. A lot of times, that's all that it is. That's all that it is. Brother Branham says... I don't care what it is, and as I said, a housewife, then be a genuine housewife. If it's a farmer, be a genuine farmer. Whatever it is that God has put you to do, you've got a stewardship to do that. 
whatever it is, whatever job, whatever role, whatever place God's given you, he says, God, that's a stewardship. And you've got to answer to God for because it takes all these things to do. It takes all these different parts here. But you know what? God's put the potential already in the earth. Remember that. God says, I own it. I created it all. I put all the potential in there. You know what we need to do is multiply and replenish the earth. And Adam, I'm going to bring you right in here, and you're going to be the one that's going to help do this. This is how it's going to work. Now, when we talk about adoption, and we talk about doing things the Father's way, there's more said about this subject in the Bible than any other subject in the Bible. So therefore, it's going to be, I think, profitable for us to roll up our sleeves a little bit and take a look at this and say, hey, if I'm a good steward, I can probably be a little bit better. And if I'm a bad steward, I can become a good one. All of us can improve in this area. So therefore, uh, we want to look at this because after all, the whole point is that we want to do things in a way that pleases the Father and do things in a way that the Father will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that we should be rich. Nowhere does it say that you have to have a big church. Nothing, it doesn't say that at all. But in stewards, in stewards, in 1 Corinthians 4.1, in stewards, the quality that's most desired is faithfulness. So we want to be faithful to the word and apply it and, and do things in a way that pleases the Father. Let's stand to our feet. Let's stop there. And uh, let's have uh, our musicians slip up to the, uh, slip up to the platform here. And we'll just see how the Lord helps us to develop this subject here and <clears throat> glean some good things from it, because there are good things. Now, what in the world are you saying after you talk about all those problems in the country here? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Jesus paid it all. Those are, those are good suggestions there. <laughs> I'm glad you're so relaxed here this evening after my negative sign got dropped. You know, it's amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. Let's sing that uh, tonight here. Worship with me now just for a little while. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that brought my liberty I do not know just why he came to love me so but he looked beyond
Lord, to deal with our hearts on this important subject. Because, Lord, it is a part of our journey here. We want to be good stewards. We want to learn, Lord, how to handle all you put in our possession. Father, many times that will involve us to sit and think and ponder about what we're actually doing now. I pray, Lord, for guidance and wisdom. And I ask, Lord, that you would just forgive us for the mistakes we've all made. And we've all made them. Things, Lord, we never knew and we had to learn the hard way. And I pray, dear God, that you would help us now as we move forward. And times we live in, Lord, we, we want to just be diligent and we want to do all we can, Lord, to be able to say, Father, we did this because this was according to your word. And we want you to look down and say, well done, a good and faithful servant. Father, we pray also now for the believers among us, Lord, who are not well, and we commit them into your hands, asking, Lord, that your peace and presence would accompany them. We love you and we appreciate you so much for all you do and all you provide. And Lord, we'll give you thanks. Bless and hold your people now. Protect them and watch over them until we gather together again. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody said, amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you tonight for coming and being here. And uh, may the Lord richly bless you as you uh, go now for the balance of your week here. Let's sing that little chorus. I have decided to follow Jesus. Sing it as you go tonight. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, and the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. Oh, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Oh, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Oh, take this whole world. But give me Jesus, no turning back.